ACASTCAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for joining the East West Football Podcast. I am your host, Fidel. Alongside with me are my co-hosts, Jerry and Kendall. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. I hope everybody's okay. Yeah, I'm doing good. Likewise, uh, you know, overall, just adapting more and more every day. Um, getting adjusted to what's, you know, priorities in life, you know, faith, family, and football. So, loving life. Yes, That's yes, good. indeed. I'm glad uh I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing well. All right, so on today's episode we actually have a special guest. Joining us is former linebacker from Ball State University and current a free agent scout, Avery Bailey. How I'm doing, doing good, guys. How you guys doing? Doing real good, good man. man. Glad glad appreciate to have you. Appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, appreciate your time. Appreciate Thank your you. time. All right, Avery. If you can just uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, yes, like Fidel said, I am a former Ball State football player. And at Ball State, I played linebacker. There at Ball State, I played for four years. I'm a four-time letter winner. And after Ball State, I've always wanted to get into coaching, but I decided to start working instead. And after I graduated, I started working in Chicago, Illinois, as a real estate tax accountant. The last four years after I graduated, I've been working in Chicago. And during that time, I've been basically just honing my business side of my mind and honing in on my analytical skills. And over that period of time working, I actually just started to gain a lot of interest in getting back into the sport that I love. And over that time, I've actually started to do scouting reports on multiple players. I've developed a a research paper revolving around the salary cap and my future goal is to hopefully get involved with a professional football team focusing on either their salary cap department or their scouting department that's awesome that's real good that's real, that's real good man um one question i want to ask you when you was at the combine, um, who who did you run into, and can you explain to the also what not about you know the whole experience down there, and just everybody anybody that you ran into, and just what you what did you get out yes. of? Yes, so like Kendall mentioned, I actually attended the NFL scouting combine down in Indianapolis, and during that weekend, I actually had the opportunity to attend the Sports Management Worldwide Conference, which is the all day conference that consists of different professional football 
professionals who come in and speak to multiple people on different aspects of the game. And during that time, I had the chance to meet numerous people who focus on the business side of football and the actual operation side of football. And during that time, I actually learned so much. It was a great experience. And I took that opportunity to learn more and ask the questions that I couldn't get from, you know, looking up stuff on Google. And the next day after the conference, we actually had the opportunity to attend the combine. And I actually got a chance to see the defensive backs. And that was an amazing experience. I saw their on-field drills and I saw their workout drills as well. Okay, that's that's pretty good. And you, um, you also got to meet up with Adam Schefter and a couple other more like. Oh yeah, members. absolutely. Adam Schefter was one of the lead speakers of the actual event, and afterwards, you had a chance and the opportunity to take a picture with him. And he was a down to earth guy, very awesome. He has numerous stories to tell everybody. One of the biggest ones that basically you know stood out to me was the fact that his love for the game was so strong that he does his podcast. For free he doesn't do it for any amount of money at all and he doesn't even think of it as if he should get paid for it he does it because his love for the sport is just ridiculous yeah and let, let, let's get let's get to your 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 college days uh playing d1 football i mean that's not not many people know how it is to to actually get to that level you know so you know what would you say how or if you could explain the atmosphere, how is it when, you know, playing D1 yeah. football? Yeah, playing D1 football is one of the best experiences I have ever experienced in my life. Football, of course, is just a game. And it's a game that we've grown to love since we were kids. And going through the ranks, going through high school and then getting to college, you see that love change and grow even more and even more because of all the other fans and all the other people that are involved with it. And one of the best times that I've ever had in my college experience was actually when we had the opportunity to be one of those teams that got paid millions to go play a top rank college program. Well, we went down to uh, Texas A&M my senior year, week one. And uh, we were, I think we were like the 35-point underdog. It was something ridiculous. And when we went down there, the couple months before, they just got done renovating their field to hit the 100,000 capacity mark. And the fans were absolutely ready for the season to begin. The, 12, the famous 12th man was increased in size. They were ready to hit the ground running. They were tailgating for like a week straight. It was like something absurd. And the day of the game, we had the opportunity to look up to see exactly what the spread was and everything. And being a Division I school, but not a type of school that is in the SEC or the ACC, our goal is, of course, to go try to win the game. But we also try to beat the spread just to make those fans mad because they decided to pick against us. And it was a great thing to do because when we got there, we ended up 
beating the spread and we weren't happy that we you know we ended up losing but the fact that we beat the spread and we got a chance to turn against those fans that picked against us <laughs> they felt like we won something <laughs> it makes sense that's awesome hey uh avery just real i just wanted to ask you uh whenever you're evaluating a player what are what are a couple things? That well, you're now, doing? one thing, I'm just going to break it down just to one position specific because I evaluate each position differently. And the one position that I can talk about based off of just the combine that I attended was the defensive backs. Now, it's two things that I basically view when I look at the defensive backs. And it's the first thing is the technical side. Of course, technical side is basically technique. And it can be broken down in numerous aspects and the first thing that i can break it down with is hips and footwork are their foot is their footwork active is their footwork quick is their hips fluid and are they able to turn and run without any hesitation or without any hitch and the next part of those the technical side will have to be their hands do they have violent hands it necessarily doesn't have to do with catching a ball are there do they have violent hands at the point of attack, do they have active hands when the receiver is running the route and they're in phase with those receivers? Now, at the same time, you have to also incorporate their eyes. Their eyes tell everything when it comes to playing DB. You cannot use your eyes and expect yourself to make the play every single time. You can look for the ball and look at the quarterback the entire time. If you don't know where your receiver is, are you guarding them or you're not? So at the same time, those three things, hips slash footwork, hands and eyes are the three things that I look for when it comes to technique. And then the, the one other thing that I look for is patience. And patience, it all comes to their mental. Are they smart? And are they willing to trust their technique in order for them to make the play that they need to make? Now, on the other side of that is the non-patient players are the same people that basically lack the patience when it comes to trusting their technique. Sometimes you can tell when a person or a defensive back isn't patient, they have bad footwork. They false step when they come out of their breaks. They round their break when they try to break on a receiver. They have active hands and aggressive hands, but those aggressive hands come from, you know, they lead to pass interference calls, holding calls as well. And bad eyes lead to double moves being made on them and the receiver becoming open. So those types of things that I evaluate when I look at a defensive back. You know, the one thing that I found interesting when uh, when we had a call before we started doing the podcast was you brought up, a, you know, what what your one of your coaches told you, you know, man, ball yes, late. If you can just elaborate a little. Bit yes, yes, that, absolutely. So man ball right. late is a concept that you need to identify and locate your man. And once that is done, the next step is to locate where the ball is and get your eyes back on either the quarterback or either the ball in the air. And then you attack the ball late. Nobody wants a receiver or nobody wants a cornerback to be covering a receiver and go attack the ball as soon as the ball is in the air. Because that's how you have misjudgments. 
You see what I'm saying? So if it was a deep ball on a fade route and all of a sudden you see the ball in the air and you try to go attack the ball in the air when it's all the way at the highest point, you're going to misjudge it. So therefore, if you play your man, identify where the ball is and then attack it late, you're able to do it in a fluid motion and make plays on the ball, get those PBUs and get those interceptions. I was actually watching a film just last few weeks and it was actually college film and the defensive backs from Ohio state, they play that concept the best out of any team in America. Real quick, Avery, Avery, uh, there's one question that I, I wanted to ask you before we get a little bit deeper into the show. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, uh, I know that we had talked during the conference. Uh, we, I had asked you a question and the way you explained it, it just, Man, it even it it just kind of it just oh, oh it, get, it just woke me up. So I think it's it's very important to to make sure I ask you that question so you can share it with the audience. You know, absolutely. Uh, I remember I asked you like, what was your most memorable game? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My most memorable game. Well, actually, let's get back to the Texas A and M game. My most memorable game. It doesn't even come from me actually playing any snaps. It doesn't come from me making a a game winning interception. It doesn't come from me making the game one to tackle. It actually comes from me running out of the tunnel of Texas A&M. And the thing is, coming into Aggieland and leading up to the game, we found out also after or right before we found out what the spread was, uh, we found out that the student body of the 12th man, they have a blog site before every game that does the research on each away teams or each incoming team, uh, basically research on those, each of those players. And each of those players, they have their picture pulled up and then they have like a multiple pictures and comments talking trash about each of those individual players. And I was actually one of the ones they chose and Aguiland was not nice, guys. They were not nice. They decided <laughs> to call me multiple names and multiple things, and it was very, very interesting leading up to it. So right then and there, I knew I was ready to ready to just play this game and just go crazy. And getting to the actual stadium, everybody is focused. It's a beautiful stadium and everything like that. You know, you get your pads on, you know, you got your, you know, Noise canceling headphones in. You got future playing in the background. You know, you locked in. You taped up. You know, you strapped in. You ready. And we get to the tunnel. And the way the field at Texas A&M, the way the stadium is set up, you have a middle tunnel where the Texas A&M runs out of. And then to the right corner, you have the away team where they come out of. Now, During that time, the away team always comes out first. And the way they had it set up, it it didn't happen that way. We all came out at the same time. Now, during that time, they come out to Kanye West, that uh, amazing song that he has with, uh, hey, and the crowd is jumping, clapping, all in unison with the song. And all of a sudden, we start to run out and I see the smoke and it flows over to our side and it looks like we're running through smoke because our tunnels are so close. And while we're running out of that tunnel, we see nothing but smoke and fireworks just flying through the air, 
booming as loud as possible and fans jumping and screaming the whole entire time. I'm thinking this is for me. All right. I'm thinking I'm thinking they do this for away fans. Oh, yeah, we about to win the whole time. I'm thinking we're about to go win this game. I'm about to have 10 tackles, five sacks, three interceptions, and I'm going to get drafted with the first pick in the draft by the Cleveland Browns. But it didn't happen that way. But that was by far the best experience that I've actually had the opportunity to be around. Man, just the way you explained it, it just sounds so exciting. You know, uh, I think I think it just kind of like makes me light up, like my eyes light up and Hopefully it gives it gives our audience a a better picture, right, of what it is to be, you know, being able to to have that experience, especially like, you know, like first experience, you know, firsthand experience. So I'm so grateful that you're able to share that with our audience. I mean, I know that that it's just something that we sometimes we just see it on TV. We kind of take it for you know granted. But. And when you see when you see college stadiums just all working together in unison and like, you know, they put on a song, whether it be jump, right? That that old school that old school song and yeah, jump yeah. in, right? Or or you know, they're all doing they're all doing a wave, you know what I mean? Like it's just crazy, right? That 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 you could just feel the energy through the TV sometimes, but the way you explained it, it just it just it just gives it justice, so to say. All right, guys, let's go and talk about some NFL headlines that happened during the week. Uh, I think the biggest one was the trade that happened. So Texans trade a second-round pick to the Rams in exchange for Brandon Cooks and a future fourth-round pick. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Oh, well, initially, my thoughts are, you know, the big question is everybody will know what are the Texans doing. You know, first, like I said, they got – they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. They, you know, he was having some locker room problems, and it was a few personal problems going on with him and Bill O'Brien and whatnot. So they got rid of him, shipped him to Arizona, like we talked about in a in a um, show this back back. So we got they got rid of him. They just brought this. So you got rid of Hopkins, and traded just traded a superstar receiver for a, a receiver that's been injury prone over the last couple of years with concussions. That's a ser- That's something serious. I mean, yes, I mean you gave up a you gave a second rounder to the Rams. You got back a fourth rounder. I mean, it's a deep wide receiver class, but I mean. You know, Texas just gotta ask, like, I mean, what are you, what are you doing, like, and Coop and Cooper for um, from, from Cook's standpoint, he's been traded three times. He got, you know, he got traded from the Saints to the Patriots, and then the Patriots to the Rams, and then now like the the Rams to the Texans. So I'm, I'm sure Cook said he don't, he really don't know what what's going on. You know, he, he was open to the trade because he went on Twitter a week or so back. He was like, "Free me." I don't know if some of y'all seen it or whatnot, but he wanted to be freed from from the um, from the Rams or whatnot. He posted that, like, I believe it was last week. So I mean, then from the Rams standpoint. I mean, with, with this deep class of receiver, they gotta they gotta look for receiver. I mean, they got Cooper Cup there in the slot. Um, they got Reynolds. I'm hearing that Jared Goff he like he like um the wide receiver. They got Reynolds, and then they got um who's the, Robert Woods. He's getting up there in age a little bit. So I mean, like, so you gotta you gotta get some youth at that position there. You got and you and you need somebody that can come in and contribute right away. So I mean, Bill O'Brien, like I think he's on the hot seat this year, and like he raised a lot of eyebrows when he went on. They raised a lot of eyebrows when they when they acquired uh, Cooks. From the rounds and whatnot, but mainly with the DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, we just nobody knows what they're doing. I think that when you look at it, though, I think it just comes down to their identity, and I just feel that Bill O'Brien is trying to uh, create an identity similar to that of the Patriots. Because mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at it for the longest time, the Patriots would always have these smaller, 
wide receivers that would catch, you know, because, you know, they, they, they were trying to get the ball out of, you know, Tom Brady's hands faster because, you know, everybody always would, would, would say, oh, Patriots have a great offensive line. No, it's not that. They built the scheme to get the ball out of Brady's hands faster. So what do you do? You get a bunch of wide receivers that are in st- the same stature as a running back, and they turn into running backs, right? Mm-hmm. So Tom Brady didn't take longer hits. His body's been able – that's why he's been able to be in the league for so long. So I think when you stop and you look at it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create an identity of, you know, setting up the big, you know, the the big play with Will Fuller and use Randall Cobb and Brandon Co- uh, Brandon Cooks to, you know, do the do the do the small work, right? I mean, the running game has been I mean, there hasn't really been a very reliable or a very, you know, a consistent running game and and with the Texans, so I think that I think that they're going to go ahead and and bring on the Patriots' offensive scheme. So when you look at it, I think this is what they're doing. It's just it's just an identity thing, and I think ultimately it's going to help Deshaun Watson not not being one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL because he came he came away with that statistic this past year also. So I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, the one when I look at it, the one positive that I can take away from what Bill O'Brien is doing, if you look at the division in the AFC South, they have the speed at the receiver position to stretch those other defenses. And that's what I look forward to seeing. And you can see Deshaun Watson out there slinging that ball around vertically throughout the whole entire field. So I guess you can say if you look at the teams in that division, they do have some wounded secondaries. Jags just got rid of Bouye. Uh, the Tennessee Titans just didn't haven't resigned Logan Ryan yet, and the Colts just cut two of their cornerbacks in Pierre Desir. So we'll see what is going to happen this upcoming season, but hopefully it's a good thing for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, whenever we you know think about all these moves, you know Bill O'Brien. Uh, started doing since last year uh, when he kind of stepped in to be the GM, you know, the Larry Tunzel trade, um, you know, just a couple moves he's made already. And then also, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins one. I mean, to me, that's the one that stands out because to me, DeAndre Hopkins is a better receiver than, than uh, Stefan Diggs and Minnesota Correct. was able to get more for him. Right. Uh, so, I mean, if you're trying to like look, look for a positive in it is that now that, the Texans have a lot of, you know, speed on that offense, um, especially and, you know, adding Brandon Cooks. So hopefully that receiving core can stay healthy because I think that's the biggest question mark is health I think, for them. I think, I think if they can stay healthy, they got to – I think it's a – because they don't have a clear number one. Cooks, I mean, he, he's a – he's been known as just, you know, one. Like, he's really a nine guy that can run that one route. I mean, he, 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 he's known for his speed or whatnot. So I think if they can stay healthy – it can be a pretty good core. Cobb, he had he, he's had hamstring issues, so I mean it'll be very interesting to see what they do there. But if they can stay healthy for a sixteen game season, or you know if they can get to the playoffs or whatnot, I think it'd be a, it's gonna be a very underrated core, and they can do some things. Yeah, so that's just something we're gonna have to keep an eye on, you know, as far as if they can stay healthy, and then see what they do in the draft, even though they don't have too many draft picks. All right, guys. So yesterday, a report came out that Drew Brees has agreed to uh, work with NBC instead of ESPN when he retires from the uh, National Football League. 
I mean, uh, when you look at you look at that, right? So, I mean, right now CBS, uh, Fox, and NBC have done a great job as far as putting their teams together, and you know they're the the most watched NFL football games. Uh, Monday has lost some of its spark uh, that it once it used to have, right? Because at one time Monday Night Football was just so exciting to watch. Yes. Um, however, you know, you look at this. I think that if anybody, I think that if anybody can help help out, you know, Drew Brees, he his IQs, you know, it's just it's just sky high, you know, his football IQ. So him being able to bring his experience and, you know, he had, he is a former Super Bowl champion, uh, also an MVP too. Right. So when you look at that, he's going to be able to bring like that Tony Romo effect. Uh, the only thing that, that you look at it is just, you know, who, what's next for ESPN. And, and I mean, if you stop, if you stop and you look at, it, I think ESPN needs to just look internally. I think they already have the man in place. Um, I, I would like to think that, you know, Lewis Riddick, I think, would be the perfect play-by-play caller for Monday Night Football, and I think that he would, I think that he would actually get those numbers back up because he just brings this, he brings this level of intensity and conviction when he's talking about something, and he's very he's very knowledgeable of the game. So I do think that, you know, I think they they have the man in house, and. Uh, who knows? Maybe down the line, when Tom Brady decides to retire, maybe he would be the man to kind of step in and uh, and help out, right? Him and Lewis Riddick and probably take over something like that. I'm just giving you scenarios that maybe could yes. could possibly play out. But I do think that yes. uh, Drew Brees, he's going to be a true asset. It's going to be exciting to hear him give you, you know, commentating. I don't know if he's going to be able to predict every play like Tony Romo does, but. <laughs> But definitely, <laughs> I do think it's going to be entertaining. He's always been a leader, in, uh, you know, on and off the field, and he's going to be a leader, you know, with with after post career, right? Yes, and um, like, like I was saying, just piggyback what Jerry just said. I, I mean, would it would be a good way for Drew Brees to walk away? I mean, if the Saints could, you know, probably get to the Super Bowl this year or just have a pretty good season with him, and he can end it like that, and then as soon as he's done there. He can just he's going he's transitioning from the football field to the booth, and I think and well to the to the the on the, um, the thing or whatnot for NBC he can transition transition there from there. I think he'll be pretty good there. I think Jubree he knows the game from an offense and from a quarterback standpoint. So I mean if you if you can transition there and to, and then do your work with NBC and talk football, and you know he's going to be great doing that. I think it's going to be an easy sound transition from. Him. I think I think he'll do do real good at NBC. On ESPN behalf, you know, they, they swung a couple of times and they missed. They try to get Peyton. They try to get Romo. And I've heard actually heard they're trying to get the College of Game Day and trying to get them with get them on ESPN. So, I mean, ESPN, they, they've been they've been searching and trying to hit. They just really haven't hit. So, I think from um, from Drew Brees' standpoint, it's going to be an easy and pretty good transition from him. And I can't wait to see. I think I think Drew Brees probably got another year or so left. So, But either way, whether it's this year or the following year, NBC is going to be waiting for him. Yeah, I actually love the fact that Drew Brees is actually joining the the crew now. And I actually enjoy hearing the knowledgeable side of things when it comes to those announcers like Tony Romo. It's amazing. Especially just yeah, their Yep, just just hearing their input and hearing their play by play and scenario breakdown is amazing. Now I have another name for you guys that I believe will take ESPN to the next level, and that is College announcer Gus Johnson. 
he oh, he brings yeah, he brings the entertainment aspect of every single sport game he calls, and it's amazing. Yes. Now, if you pair him like uh, Jerry had mentioned, Lewis Riddick, imagine that two combo. It, it's amazing. Amazing. You have the yes. knowledgeable side of things, and then you have the entertainment aspect, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, look, be on the lookout for that, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah always, I mean, he's always done a good job. I, we talked about that in one of our meetings recently. I was like. They should just get because they should just go after Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know what, CBS. I don't know what happened with that, and I I can't imagine how they let him, you know, get away and uh, him go with Fox. Um, I, th- I think other... another another thing, oh, real quick, but I think another thing that'll help out ESPN with the ratings, or no matter whoever they bring in there, if they have a better game slate, because there were reports last year that. You know, some of the games close to the end of the year, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, there wasn't that good quality of games. You know, they didn't have the – like it was a couple of games where you had two playoff teams playing. I think it was last year. I want to say the Miami Dolphins played the Steelers. It wasn't a good game. And, you know, fit the Dolphins, they started out pretty good, and then the Steelers came back. I mean, from a rating standpoint, fans liked it when the Steelers came back and beat the Dolphins. But, I mean, when you, when you turn on your TV, you a lot of people, a lot of fans, you don't want to see – especially in the season that the Dolphins had last year, you don't want to see the Miami Dolphins going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You want to see something that's going to really get the fans to watch it or whatnot. So I think that too can help out with ESPN because they've been, they've been trying to talk about doing some changes with the Monday night football, the schedule, and the announcers. Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody I wouldn't mind ESPN bringing on board would be Brad Le- uh, Nessler. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yes. does the main games for the SEC on CBS. I really like him, and, and he actually did uh, NFL football as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day for NFL Network. Right, well, maybe even bringing uh, Mike Tirico back in. <laughs> you know what? I don't think they can afford him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and there's probably already a plan in place for Mike to, you know, replace Al Michaels. Mm, I was Drew thinking Brees, that, too. And Drew Brees to replace uh, Chris Collinsworth. Uh, you know what? You, you just have to feel for ESPN, man. You know, they swung at multiple people and they missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the, the, the primetime game for, like, the weekend now, I mean, well, it's Sunday night football. It's no longer Monday night football. Monday night football used to be a really big deal early two thousands um, when it was on ABC. It's definitely uh, Sunday night now. Yeah, Sunday night football is is the the place you want to you know be playing on that time that time slot. So we'll we'll see what ESPN does. I mean, yes. I kind of feel bad for Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland. You know, they kind of have to look over their shoulder and say, "Hey, who's going to come after my job next?" Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Also, too, um, it came out that Tua's workout, uh, there was actually a video that came out. Uh, personally, I haven't gotten a chance to see it. Have you guys? Uh, yes. I looked at it. I looked at it a little bit. I seen that it was floating around yesterday. He looks good. He um, The ball was getting out of his hand pretty good. The ball, it came out really good. You know, he, he's a left-hander, so it's not something that we see. We we haven't seen too many left-handers. I mean, Michael Vick, he was a left-hander, I believe. Yeah, he, Michael Vick was a left-hander. Um. I mean, then some quarterbacks in the league, they, the ball just comes out. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, like, from what we've seen, I mean, I think teams, they want to see him when he's in live action and when he has a pass rush coming towards him. Because, like like they say, anybody can look good in T-shirts and shorts and whatnot. So I think we, 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 they want to see him in live action. But, you know, what, from what I heard, if somebody dropped to it this year, he probably won't even start this year. They, they'd rather have him sit behind a bridge quarterback. So, I mean, he looked good yesterday, and the ball comes out really good. He did look like he was kind of – I wouldn't say favoring, but he, it was probably kind of his mind a little bit, but still, I mean, about, the, about his hip or whatnot. So I think it's it just something to keep an eye on. But from, overall, he looked pretty good in the workout. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I was able to, to view 
I was able to view uh the video as, as well. It looked he looked good. Um he looked good. I mean honestly you gotta just trust the tape on this one. Uh you do know that, you know, okay if you if you've been known to have injuries, okay, they may they may follow you. So whatever team decides to invest in them, they're gonna get an exciting player that, you know, he has that winner he has that winner mentality all the time. So I think if you if you do get him, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to draft you know, uh, contingencies, right? Like, in other words, you're gonna you're gonna have to just prepare if he's if he's not, you know what I mean? Like, if he does have a, an injury, well, you can have somebody step in. So Correct. you make him your franchise quarterback, but then you also dip in, double dip, and get yourself somebody that that you can develop along the way. You know, some somebody that has a similar skill set, and I think that your team can move on and let him give him time to heal up. So overall. Trust the Tate. He's always he's been a winner since since he joined Alabama, and mm-hmm. he's done some great things. Uh, I do I do truly think that that he's done everything that they've asked. And man, he's healed up and he looks sharp. So I think he's ready. He's ready. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see what team will end up picking Tua. You know, and I feel like mm-hmm. that video was his team and his you know you know his group of you know agents and you know marketing people i think that was just mm-hmm. them putting that video out there just to you know make sure he doesn't drop as far cuz you know a lot of these players they get input on what teams are saying and they get input yeah. on where they looking you know to see him drafted at and i feel like that video was put out because they didn't like what they heard that's the one thing I look at, and I feel like if they didn't like what they heard, how far would he drop? You know, maybe, maybe to the Saints. Who knows? We'll see. Yes. And um, because because Trent Dilfer, he came out the other day. I was watching one of the shows on TV, and Trent, Trent Dilfer came out, and he said that um, if if it, if you put injuries aside, he said the Bengals would be taking two at number one if if it wasn't injuries. Yes, he said. Yeah, Trent Dilfer. He said it. He said he worked, he worked him out in Tennessee. He was there with him the other day's workout. He said if it wasn't for the injury issue, he said that he could Tua would be the number one prospect in this draft, number one in number one quarterback. Ooh. So he he would say the Cincinnati Bengals would take him um, with flying colors, and they wouldn't think twice about it. That's what that's what Trent Dilfer said the other day. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that that would be a team. To, well, I was actually thinking about the same thing. You know, I think we were talking about it the other night. If you know, if we just think about. You know, two a non-injury to Joe Burrow. I mean, I think I would take two over Burrow. Yeah, yeah, because like, I mean, you don't know. I mean, Burrow, he's a one. No, what if Burrow comes in and he stinks it up? Then, then the question they're gonna come and they're gonna say, was he a one-year wonder or was it the talent that he had in, in um in at LSU? You know, with the, with uh, Tua had talent too around him in Alabama, but Tua did, he has a longer resume. Um, um, he has has a longer, much longer resume than what, what Burrow had. Burrow done it for one year. And he transferred there to LSU. Yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens with that as well. Um, you know, I don't think two is gonna fall out of the first round though. I can't see him getting. I can't see him getting out of ten. He, he, no lower, no lower than eight. He's going. He's going between um, Cincinnati. Well, I know they're probably not gonna take him, but between the range of Cincinnati and the range of the Chargers. Well, I mean, I think we talked about it too. You know, Miami trading up. You know. With Cincinnati and then Cincinnati dropping down and just you know waiting for for Tua, and yes. you know you know actually getting some more draft picks also. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. All right, 
right, let's go ahead and talk about some NFL draft gems at the cornerback and safety position. Kendall, who are your players? Yes, man. One of the, the corners that really stood out to me that I've been doing some family from TCU, Jeff Gladney. Like I said, he's you know he's five, he's just under six foot. He's, he's only five. He's five ten, weighing one hundred ninety pounds. But I put on some film on, and one of the games I seen from earlier this year, he, from what I seen, he's very physical at the point. He's a very physical corner, and he sticks with his guys. So he's very underrated. He's not. He's not. I would say he's a top five corner in this draft. But I can definitely see him coming in and being like a number two corner on a team that's, that has a pretty a pretty good corner. He also he can play the slot as well. You know he he lacks the ideal size for the position. The ideal size in the length. Like I said, he 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 makes it to like I said, he plays very physical, man. And, and when I seen when I was seeing the film, I think he was playing. I don't, I don't know if it was UCLA or it, it was some team on, on the West Coast. And he he locked he locked them up. He he played he played pretty good. He had a pretty good season for TCU. He's just a name to keep an eye on. He's very under radar corner. And my um my safety, I'm gonna go with Jalen Elliott out of Notre Dame. You know he, he's a he's pretty good. I mean I I looked at a few scouting reports on it and I seen him play earlier this year when I was watching him. And one thing that I know is he's you know he's better suited in the zone scheme, so he, he plays better he plays better, plays better in the zone scheme. He's quick he's re, he's quicker he's really quicker he's not really the fast but he's quicker. So he's a he's a fast he's a fast safety he gets to the point of attack right then and there. Then he's very he's very explosive too. So when he's when he comes he I mean, he put the hit on you too. He's very very explosive with it and when he hits you you definitely gonna feel this one thing I point out to him. He does doesn't he some of the week he doesn't really wrap up. I seen that so he he misses a lot of time he doesn't he doesn't really wrap up. But he, he's more of a he, when he comes, he wants to come with it, with a knockout hit or whatnot. So but he, he's a bit he's below average. He's straight line speed. That's very below average. So I wouldn't like he's probably not going to be your best coverage. Say so he's more more he can kind of be more of in the box. Now with with that being said, I'm gonna start off with Elliot. Now my personal input, I completely agree. He fits the zone scheme. Perfectly, I can completely see him with a uh, a Saints types of defense that plays mm-hmm. zone with the back end safeties. Looking at it, they just lost Von Bell. I think that's the first thing well. came to mind when I was talking uh, when I was looking at him. Exactly, he fits that perfectly. Now, some of the characteristics I see with Elliott often, especially with that Notre Dame team, they aren't always the you know the best athletes in the world, and what they have to what they lack, they have to make up for with their smartness. He is one of he has great football IQ back there on that back end. He was paired with another safety, uh, Gilman, who mm-hmm. is more of a, a Swiss Army knife who who comes down a lot and is used, you know, to you know to stop the run. And watching Elliott play, I can see him fit perfectly with those you know zone schemes. Now, when it comes to Gladney, Gladney, you hit the nail on the head, man. He is. Very, very physical. Now, watching film on him, not only is he physical, and yeah, he kind of is, you know, small in stature. His footwork, his active feet, you very rarely see a receiver gain separation from him. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. like, you never see him get burnt ridiculously and everything like that. And what I've seen him play in a few games, a lot of the things that stood out to me was – his physicalness, his footwork, and in the zone scheme, his eyes and being able to read and react. I can see him fitting perfectly with a team like Seattle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, especially in their cover three defense, man. Oh, man, that'd be dangerous. Yes. I would think it's Seattle or maybe even Atlanta for him. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. See, those 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 comparisons fit perfectly. And those two in zone schemes, Elliot on the back end and Gladney on the corner side, that's a dangerous combo. Yes. Jerry, uh, what are your players at corner and safety? All right, so uh, I'm going to go with Dane Jackson out of Pitt. Uh, he's 5'11", 187 pounds. His 40, his 40 wasn't blazing. He did run a 4.57, but when you look at him, you know, he even when, – when he played during the senior bowl, I mean, what I saw was a true cover corner, you know. Somebody with – he had a lot of tenacity. Like, he just – he did he did very well overall. Like, just overall, the senior bowl was a, a, a coming out party for him, and he was able to show his, you know, his – from what we're hearing is he has a very uh, high football IQ. You know, uh, coaches also said that, you know, that he puts in the work in the film room, which is good, right? But overall, when I when I see him, he's very fluid when he's running down with the with with the wide receivers. It with him, the only the only thing that there's two concerns, right? Is he gets his head he he turns his head back a little bit too late sometimes uh, to make a play on the ball, right? So. You know, I think that that could be coached up at the next level. But for the most part, he's ultra aggressive. Uh, he's very aggressive. So, you know, he may he may draw some penalties. Uh, the, the the second thing is is maybe his, his weight. Right. Uh, that, that's a good height. But his weight, I think that that's going to that's going to kind of keep him in the slot at the next yes. level. But mm-hmm. at Pitt, he did play. He did play outside a lot, you know, during uh during his time at Pitt, but you know, in the NFL is a different, it's a different monster. So those are the two, those are the two things that, that definitely that if he could get those two things finished or, or refined, I think that he could be, you know, he has potential to be an outside corner in your team. And with his, with, if you look, if you look the way he plays, just super aggressive. If you could just know how to just get that aggressiveness and be able to, you know, stick it to the jam and just and and just be able to use his technique more. I think that he's going to be a, a a starting a starting caliber corner just because of his film study. Um, when I go to the the safety, when I go to the safeties, I mean, there's there's a bunch of safeties out there. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the groups that I've been really really scouting the most, and. Uh, I mean the one the one interesting prospect I got out there is Ashton Davis. I mean I've seen people I've seen people mock him a, a, as a second rounder, and then I've seen reports having him in a third round pick. Little thing about Ashton Davis is that when he came on to Cal, I think he came in only as a a track. Uh, I think he came in with the track scholarship, and then he he walked on as a as a football player. But man, when you look at him. He, you could tell he's very, very fast. So that's that's something that that you would like to see in safeties, right? And uh, he plays he plays a lot tougher than. Well, no, he plays really tough. I mean, he's out there, you know, laying laying you know violent hits out there. He's able to cover good ground. He's able to get his hands on the ball. He's able to t- you know get the turnovers you need. So I do think that you know third round, second round, maybe he it would be the spot for him, but. Definitely, I think that when he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a starter in the league 
And uh, I know he needs to stay healthy. Those are a couple knocks on him. Staying healthy, right? Because uh, I think that I think he plays too violent sometimes. But that's definitely a name to keep an eye out. And uh, just just to throw some not- some notable uh, out there, um, real, real quick, I'm gonna go back to the corner. You got Troy Pride out of Notre Dame, five foot yes. eleven, 193 pounds. He ran uh, in the four fours. Uh, he had a great Senior Bowl week also. With him, you know, for the most part, he looks more of a zone coverage. I think because of because of what I, we talked earlier, I think he's gonna be a true slot corner. Um, but uh, he's very he's also he's very very intense. Another notable name was Harrison Hand out of Temple. I think from the entire this entire bunch of corners coming out, he's the most aggressive corner at the line of scrimmage with press coverage. So those are some notable names, and then on the on the safeties, it was it was Brandon Jones. Man, he's very versatile. I see him as a strong safety, but he's very versatile, playing you know playing down at the box a lot, and uh, being able to be your slot corner too. So those are some names to watch out. I know previously we've mentioned Geno Stone and um, other players like that, but those are some notable names just to keep an eye out for. Awesome. So now when I hear the names that you mentioned, I'm three, the four, like you mentioned six names, four names popped out to me instantly. And the corner from Pitt, Jackson. And starting with him, I've watched his film and he fits outside corners, you know, mentality perfectly. And watching him on film, when you hear you say that sometimes he's, you know, he's overly aggressive and, you know, sometimes he's reaches and grabs and, and loses the, you know, looks for the ball too soon and late when it reacts to, you know, trying to get a PBU and everything like that. The first thing that comes into mind is patience. First thing, because if you're able to, you know, to trust your technique, you will be able to, you know, read and react accordingly and the same thing comes to mind when you think about uh pride from notre dame he gets real grabby when he plays man coverage he's more suitable for man i mean more suitable for zone he gets real grabby in man coverage and sometimes he stops his feet when the receiver breaks down therefore he has to stop and start and his turnover is a lot slower and then moving over to the cow safety he has an extremely high ceiling on the back end, especially when his speed and his coverage ability, him being able to run from numbers to numbers playing on the back end is ridiculous. He can do that and cover so much ground, but is he able to, you know, show that he's more than just a track guy on the field? Can he be put in tough situations when it, a team decides to run the ball 30 times a game and can he be able to come up and try to make a play or is he comfortable enough to see a tight end coming down the seam and he's going to react accordingly and break up that pass or try to tackle him. And going back to Brandon Jones from Texas, that man can run and tackle. He is all over the field for Texas and I love his game, but does he have the footwork to cover? We see him a lot. You know, he's athletic and yeah, he runs extremely well and everything like that, but I haven't seen him 
put in a situation where he's matched up man to man on a slot receiver or a larger body tight end because he isn't the biggest guy. He's a what I believe he's like five ten. I believe he's a smaller stature guy. So all four of those guys I named, they have pros and cons. All four are athletic. All four can play at the next level, but they all four of them have to prove that they can do other things outside of what they did in college. Correct. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you think, Ashton Davis? I mean, what's a good comp for him? Oh, man. The first thing I think of is is Demarius Randall in 2018. Wow. Playing for the from Browns. Green Bay. Y- yep, exactly. When he had moved from corner to safety, uh, playing for the Browns his first, his first year with the Browns, he was, you know, on the back end playing cover three a lot. He was the deep safety. And he was, you know, playing in that Greg Williams defensive scheme where we do – where they yep. do cover mm-hmm. zero – cover one majority of the time and he can do that i can see him fitting that mold because of his athleticism his size and his ability to cover if teams are willing to disguise the role that he is in he'll be able to excel extremely but at the same time if teams are able other offenses are able to pick out exactly what he's doing they are able to eliminate him from the actual play and everybody knows what his strong suits are, and that happens mm-hmm. to be covering. But him in the run game is not. But his speed yes. on the back end would be great for teams that have what, like the Texans. They have Willful on the outside, Brandon Cooks on the outside. Those speed mm-hmm. stretching them vertically. You would love to have a guy on the back end like Ashton Davis, who has the speed to match up with them down the field. One more question: Do you think that he can play both strong and free safety? Free, free. Also, so safeties in the league nowadays is is they have the title free safety and strong safety. But a lot of these safeties these days, they are able to disguise those looks and they're necessarily not always a free and a strong because both of them can play both. But at the same yes. time, he has to be in the situation for a team where their free safety is always at the top of the zone. Like, for instance, on the cover three team like uh, Seattle when they had Earl Thomas. You know what I'm saying? Roaming the top of the field. Mm-hmm. Back when Ed Reed used to play, the top high safety, you know, right. all the yep. time roaming the center field. You know what I mean? So, like, those types of defenses is what he will fit into perfectly. Uh-huh. Real, real quick, um, Avery, I want to ask you, what about what you think about the Oklahoma State corner, um, A.J. Green? He's 6'2". Oh, yes, yes. Six, okay, so watching him play, his length is – tremendous yes i think that's the first thing i know and i would love for him to use his length even more because coming mm-hmm. from what the big 12 right coming from the big 12 they have extremely passing offenses throughout the league and they have to Correct. deal with the ball being thrown 50 to 60 times a game playing 100 plus plays a game and coming from all those Big 12 teams, since they pass all the time, the clock stops if it's an incomplete pass. So the games are longer. And he, right. he has the stamina to play the entire game, which is great to see. You would love to see a corner that, that doesn't get tired because you'll often see a lot of these NFL teams, they'll tire out some of these corners and then they have to bring in his rotational guy. Having that, having yes. that length on the back end, especially the matchup with big receivers, that is extremely mm-hmm. useful and I just 
can see him being matched up in the uh, NFC South, getting, you know, playing for a team like, uh, uh, what was it, the the Panthers, I believe? Yeah, but yeah Panthers or even the Falcons, because it kind of reminds me of Antonio Cromartie. With the yes, Lakers. exactly. And you know you have to go up against Mike Evans twice a year. You know you got to. You know you got to go against and, Mike yep, and uh and Chris Godwin. You see what I'm saying? So like those types of right. players, they they will excel in those, you know, those types of schemes that go against those lengthier receivers. Yeah. So, yeah, the other players too that I want to mention, as far as you know, maybe some names people haven't heard about yet, are, are going to be as far as like at the corner position or be Stanford Samuels out of Florida State University. Uh, he's 6'1". He has good length. He weighs 187. Uh, just the only knock on him was, you know, as far as speed goes, uh, he was, you know, a lot of people were just running by him at times. And then also, too, at the safety position, uh, Julian Blackman out of Utah. Uh, so he's uh, he's 6'1", uh, 204 pounds. Uh, the, the thing that I like about him is that he has ball hawking tendencies. Now, a lot of people forget about him just because he actually got injured during the twelve uh, Pac-12 championship game on a non-contact injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking at starting with him, he is a great safety. He comes like, – like we discussed before, that team has numerous players in that secondary, numerous players. And across the board, they do such a good job with, you know – playing fast in that scheme and that the reason why that team played so well is because they trusted the system they were well coached and the fact that they bought into their system and the fact they can play fast they don't second guess what they see and that's the reason why they were winning so many games is because they were able to play fast play physical and read and react a lot better than some of the teams that they were playing against and therefore that led to wins they never second guess what they saw if they saw something that they can react on they reacted and if the coverage had to change they changed it accordingly and were able to adjust on the fly and that's some smarts and football iq is something that comes up when first thing that comes to mind when you say his name now when it comes to the other guy can you say his name again Stanford his Samuels. father played in the league am i correct yeah. So he comes yes. from that pedigree of, you know, professionalism. He comes from like the technique, technician, defensive back. But yes, as you said, he played in a position to where he was getting ran by a lot. I can see him getting converted to safety and him being in the safety position. He can basically play or use his, you know, cornerback knowledge, but also cater specifically to him where he doesn't have to you know, rely on his speed as much. You know what I mean? And he's the type of guy who can, you know, be matched up with those athletic tight ends who line up in the receiver position. And you can put him on those guys and you necessarily can say he's fast in the majority of the tight ends, but he's not necessarily faster than a lot of the receivers. So you can match him up with a tight end and and feel comfortable with the matchup that you do have. Real quick, uh, just to add, Avery, give, give, Avery, give us some gems at, at the position. That, you know, since you were at yeah. the combine and you actually, you know, you were there while they were working out. 
Maybe some some other names that people have so, mentioned. So the yes. first two names that come to mind are Javarius Davis from Auburn and Damon Arnett from Ohio State. Starting with Javarius, he isn't the largest guy. He, I believe he's about like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, in size and weighs about around 180. And he's a... Speed, 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 speed guy. The guy clocked in at a four three nine, I believe, at the combine, and his he has by far some of the quickest feet I have seen at the combine on the field drills and watching his tape. And when I actually see his tape, he runs a lot out of the slot. He's a, your typical slot size guy, and not necessarily you want him to, you know to always cover. At Auburn, he didn't always cover. He blitzed, you know, he played a lot of underneath zone. Typically with a lot of corners, you expect them to play the zone scheme to where they don't have to cover the flat as much, where they don't have to drop to the curl flat area or even drop in the hook zone area. He's an underneath corner who can do all of those roles and has the speed and agility to make up for any inefficiencies when it comes to his size, because he can get there with ill intentions and watching his tape, he, you know, stood out even more to me at the senior bowl, watching the senior bowl tape, not even the game film, watching the one-on-one drills. I got a chance to actually see his, you know, legit man technique that he has. And he not only with the footwork and you know athleticism that he has to be matched up with the receivers, you know all you know speeds, he has the patience and the technique to play the you know the receiver's hands to break up a pass, and he has the patience to you know trust his technique to get back into position so he can make a play on the ball and make sure the receiver doesn't. And I saw that, and it was just amazing to see his technique that advanced. And going back over to uh, the other corner, Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett is around 6'1", 190, 195. He's a a bigger corner. And watching him throughout the year, I've noticed that, you know, of course, Ohio State is known for, you know, their man corners, but they're also known for, you know, Akuda on the other side. You necessarily don't think about the other corner that's on the other side. And with Arnett, he isn't the fastest guy. He ran, I believe he ran a four, five, six at the combine. And at the combine, you watched, you know, him run and it, nothing really stood out to you. You know, he was like, okay, you know, he looked like, you know, he should have ran a four, five, six because of his size. But what stood out to me was the on field drills, his ability to, you know, backpedal and flip his hips, his movement ability and able to, you know, break down any direction is what stood out to me. And getting back to the film, of course, you see him on film and Ohio State corners are just so well coached. And he does the, you know, the technique that I mentioned earlier, uh, man ball late. He plays that so well and he trusts his technique so well that his confidence is extremely high. You don't even realize that he's a four or five, six guy being matched up with some of these receivers because his technique is so advanced he trusts what he sees he utilizes great footwork and physicality and i can see him honestly being a a second round third round guy this year in this draft because of his you know a football iq his 
ability to, you know, to break on the ball, his ability to make plays on the ball, and his ability to, to ultimately shut down a lot of, you know, corner, a lot of receivers in this year's, you know, draft and NFL. Yes, I like that. Um, another one of my favorite corners coming out. I mean, he's gotten a lot of, he's gotten some praise, but not as much as I don't think he's got as much as a Cuda from Ohio State. I like C.J. Henderson. What would be a great fit for him? What What would you think? I was thinking more along like the Cowboys, but I'm sure you might you might have another. Oh man, C.J. Henderson, especially seeing outside of watching his film and seeing him with you know on the actual on field drills at the combine. That guy is one of the smoothest guys I have seen on, you know, the NFL combines on field yeah, drills. Great it is amazing. When he ran his 40, you you seen him get out of the blocks and he had that quick burst. But after he, you know, hit the 20-yard mark, it just looked so smooth. You didn't even think he ran, you know, that 4-4-4-3 range. You were like, okay. Wow, you know it just it just popped out to you. A team that I can see him being matched up with, honestly, I can't see him slipping out of the top twenty, man. And it would the league that we have now is a pass dominant league, and the fact that he is versatile enough to you know be a a man corner along with the zone corner. I'm ah man, that's tough for me to say. I mean, honestly, I can see him being a great fit for Tampa Bay to help their situation. Yes, I was thinking Tampa. I was thinking Because they yeah. have, you know, that's one thing that they do lack is a lengthier size at the corner position. And they are a team that has the pass rush to get to the quarterback. They just need, you know, to be in coverage longer just to be, you know, make those plays and just so that the quarterback holds the ball longer. And Tampa Bay could use a guy like yes. that. So – We'll see what happens, but I hopefully, you know, they address that situation at Tampa. Yes. And, real, and just just real just, just one 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 add, add this one thing. Um Florida, the last corner I believe that that, that came out of Florida, I think I, I want to say yeah. Hargraves, yeah. Hargroves. Yes. Um what you think is going on with him? He hasn't I, I think I believe he's in he's either in Tampa or Houston now. But I, I know he's, No, he he was he wasn't uh he wants Yeah. He got traded, yeah, right? So I, but, yes. Okay, I, yeah. What, what, what's your take on him, real quick? If you can give a little, a quick, in, a yeah. Quick so watching in. him coming out of Florida, it, it, you get the vibe of you know uh, a Joe Hayden. You know he was a smaller mm-hmm. guy. Florida always had smaller corners, but when they ran the forty, they didn't necessarily you know run like a small corner. You know, uh, for example, like Javarius Davis, he's a smaller corner, but he ran in the four three range. Vernon Hargraves is a small yes. corner, but he didn't run in the 4-3 range. You know what I mean? And it honestly, I feel like it was a situation to where they were stuck. He was stuck in a situation to where he was in the wrong scheme fit. They put him on the outside you know, corner position and put him out there on the island. You know what I mean? And, and he was getting abused. And, and Florida – when he played there, he did that. He played that role, the outside corner. But if you look back on that Florida team, that Florida team wasn't the best Florida team. And why was that? You know what I'm saying? So, like, at the same time, that team wasn't winning championships at Florida. Yes, he's a good corner. 
But being put in a situation where he was getting exposed at an outside corner position, I think he would be better off fit in a zone scheme team at the slot corner position. You know, mm-hmm. using his, you know, his corner, his football knowledge in the underneath zone area is very effective. He has great footwork. That's right. not the problem. He has great technique. That's not the issue. It's just the fact that he doesn't have the length and the speed to keep up with a lot of these vertical teams these, these days. And that's what the NFL is turning into. Good. It's turning into those vertical passing, you know, teams, these, you know, with strong quarterbacks, a lot of speed to get these guys vertical. They can, he can fit better for a team like Houston. You know what I mean? You know, I can see him being their slot guy and they play in a lot of zone. Right. Thank you. Uh, I just want to add, uh, we had met, you had mentioned uh, Samuels from Florida State. At one point, it was him and Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi yeah. State. Uh, they were actually, I remember some of the NFL analysts had both of them number four and five, but then they had poor, uh, they had poor combine results, right? So that's pushed them down so much. But, I mean, you know, when it all comes down to it, it's just one of those things that these are definitely two names that I don't think that they, – they will be drafted late, but I think that they – just because of their play style, I think that they could be contributors on, you know – I I do see Cameron Dancer a little bit more of, of you know, a starter in the league. Um, I know that yesterday he put out a, a, a pro day at Ben Rouge. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Wednesday's uh, pro day at Baton Rouge, and uh, a bunch of players put out their 40s. I mean, where do you know? I guess it's very important. I know Cameron Denson, I think he had like a – for being 188 pounds, he just – I think his 40 was like four – was it four six or four five, right? Around that that range. And then he – and then yesterday he came out with the four three eight. I know, you know, I know it's difficult, but – Definitely, those are all other names to keep an eye on. Uh, Dazzler may be a third rounder, and uh, Samuels might be in the the fifth round range. But definitely, the, I think that they both have the traits to play, you know, in the NFL. Unfortunately, their athleticism they need to work on. That. Absolutely, absolutely. I could definitely see both of those guys contributing, but it just it just shows you after they got done with the combine workouts, you know, where they stood. And I honestly believe it, it deals with, you know, their own field workouts, not necessarily a 40, their own field work, workouts. Correct, correct. If you look at a guy like, you know, uh, CJ Henderson, who gets on the field and does the on field workouts and flips his hips as well as he does, you get a chance to see those guys, you know, standing side by side, you know, Dantzler being the taller guy and CJ Henderson being tall too in roundabout way. You know, those guys looking at them side by side, you see the difference in the fluidity of their hips. And that's I feel like that's the reason why those guys have dropped more so than risen in this year's draft. Well, all right, Avery, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Uh, Hopefully you can come back. I would love to. uh, I would love to. I appreciate you guys for having me. Yes, man. We enjoy your own man. Just, I mean, we enjoy anybody that comes on, you know, takes time of their day to join the East West Football Podcast and give us their insight and 
with you, whatnot. You was actually at the combine, so you was able to come. And then it just happened to be that we're we're discussing DBs on this podcast. And you know, you play you play linebacker, but you know, you also also play a little bit of DB DBs or corner or slot yes, corner cornerback as well. So I mean, it it, it's, it it was good. And then you actually was there. So and you know, you're trying to be a scout. You're a fragrant scout right now, and you you gave us what you be looking at when you're scouting these secondary players and whatnot. So we really appreciate you coming on and joining us. And like I said, taking our time. Yes, absolutely. Really Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Avery. And then, do you, do you have any social media where our fans can? Uh, yes, you guys can follow, follow me on? on both Instagram and Twitter. And on Instagram, my name is Ave B, and it's A V E underscore B. And on Twitter, you can follow me. It's the same thing, but it's A V E underscore underscore B. On both of those social media outlets, I can be followed. Okay, and you um yes and, and yes he is he is on Facebook but not as active a lot of whatnot but he um we I have that and we we, we get it out soon. Absolutely, thank you very much. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we get off? Um, I just want to add right quick. Um, Jordan Love, he's he's going he's getting a lot of interest from teams and whatnot. He's doing his virtual pro days and whatnot. He's he's, he's doing interviews. He's getting a, his his he's really rising up. His, his stock is going up. He's getting. I just I just got a notification. I just got a source that told me. That he's going a lot of interest around the league, so it'd be interesting to see where he goes. Mm. Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah. Yeah, other than that, I mean, no, I just want to thank you again, Avery. Uh, thank you for for coming on uh, on board and sharing all the knowledge that you have. And it's going to be exciting to have you on uh, for the pre-draft. Awesome, yes, awesome! Can't, can't wait. wait either, guys. Appreciate it. All right. All right, guys, that's going to go and do it for the East-West Football Podcast. Again, thank you for listening, and be safe and wash your hands. Yes, yes, sir. Have a good one, guys. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Has Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric Acid.